Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Rabbi E in Three. I'm Rabbi Yosef Edelstein, Rabbi E for short, and this is a short, we hope, uh, burst of Jewish wisdom, I hope, and inspiration, I hope, uh, as we head into a long holiday weekend. And I wanted to come to you and share a few ideas that are loosely based, or very much based, on this week's Torah portion. It's an incredible Torah portion. Don't let your don't let your eyes roll over. Torah portion. Ah, this Torah portion, Korach in the book of Bamidbar Numbers has it all. It's psychological. It's spiritual. It's ethical. It's political. And I'm recording this outside of Washington, Washington D.C. And this is perhaps the most politically charged Torah portion of all. So I just want to take a few minutes to unpack some of these ideas. Torah, instructions for life, how to live our lives. And I want to start with a poem, if I may, okay? I'm going to indulge my poetic nature. Don't bite off more than you can chew, and don't covet or long for what's not for you. And if you do, goodbye to you. (laughs) That was a song from the 80s, I think. Goodbye to you, and the earth will swallow you up too. Okay, I'm not going to continue the poem, but what I really want to mostly focus in on is the tragic human desire that I know I share at times to be something we're not, to attain something that's not meant for us. And if someone follows that yearning and that longing, it can lead to utter destruction and to lose what really is yours and what is your portion in this world. The Torah portion is called Korach. Who is Korach? Korach was a cousin of Moses and Aaron. That means he was part of the Levite tribe, the Levies. Already the Levies were elevated to a special role and distinction within the Jewish people to help Aaron, who was chosen by God to be a Kohen, but the whole Levite tribe, of whom Aaron was a member, but the whole Levite tribe were guardians of the holiness of the tabernacle of Mishkan. Korach was a first cousin of Moses and Aaron, and this is an important part of the story. And it begins, the Torah portion, very strangely by saying, and Torah, Korach took. And there's no, I was an English major and an English teacher for a couple of years, believe it or not, before I was a rabbi. And it, there's no direct object. It says, and Korach took. And it doesn't say what he took. And there are many understandings which we'll talk about. But what did he, on one understanding, what did he take? He took, by persuasion and by convincing arguments, many, several hundred distinguished individuals among the Jewish people, and they approached Moshe, and they had a claim and a complaint. And they said, why are you, Moshe and Aaron, elevating yourself above the rest of the Jewish people? We all are holy. We all heard God speak at Mount Sinai. But why are you aggrandizing yourself and elevating yourself above all the rest of the people? And they began a rebellion. Forgive the, uh, the, the, an insurrection, not armed, but a very powerful challenge to the spiritual authority of Moses and of Aaron, especially Moshe Rabbeinu, the one who brought the laws of the Torah down to the Jewish people. Okay, so that was their claim. We're all holy. We all heard God speak. But you, Moshe, you're the leader. You're the king, as it were. And we notice that Aaron, 
Aaron, your brother, is the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, who will actually perform the service in the tabernacle. Now, very important, Hashem told Moshe that Aaron is the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Very important. And a few portions earlier, importantly, other positions of authority were doled out al pi Hashem, by the word of Hashem. And Hashem commanded Moshe to elevate a younger cousin of Moshe and Aaron, right? Another first cousin, but younger than Korach, to have a certain position of leadership in the among the Leviim, among the Levites, in taking care of the tabernacle. So that's all very important background. Korach comes with 250 people plus a few others, and they have this grievance, this complaint against Moshe. We're all holy, and you're seizing power, as it were, for yourself. Now, and they said more. It became more than just that, because Korach was very masterful and very intelligent and a very great person in his own right. We're not talking about someone who was... Um, who didn't have a lot of ability and a lot of potential. He had loads of ability and loads of potential. And not only did he question Moshe's leadership, but even cast doubt on the commandments, the mitzvot, that he was teaching the Jewish people, al pi Hashem, in the name of Hashem. For instance, he said, and a great showman he certainly was, a great master of public, <laughs> of, of social media, he was, and of public relations, he gathered his father, he put his followers in a garb of complete blue. And you might know there's a mitzvah called tzitzis. It was in last week's Torah portion. We don't all follow it like this now. It's fine how we do it. That's another discussion. But basically, classically, the commandment of tzitzis fringes on the corners of a four-cornered four garment. One of the strings on each side would be blue turquoise blue. And our rabbis explain it was like the color of the sea, which would call to mind the color of the beautiful blue sky. You know, there's an amazing Bruce Springsteen song on the album The Rising, uh, his album after 2001, where he talks about the unbelievable blue sky. I think that's one of the quotes in a very sad, tragic song on that sad album, wonderful album. But in any case, the unbelievable blue of the of the tzitzis looks like the ocean. It reminds us of the unbelievable blue of the sky, which reminds us of the the throne of glory of God, which is turquoise in some spiritual sense. But the point is, you look at your tzitzis and you remember all the commandments. And you remember that you, we, the Jewish people, have a mission in this world to elevate the world, to follow holiness, not to f and follow the word of Hashem, not to follow the desires of our mind, of our eyes, and our heart. So in any case, Moshe had taught the Jewish people this law of tzitzis. One string of blue, basically, even though it's okay without it, but one string of blue, and on each side, that elevates the whole garden, uh, the whole garment. So what does Korach do? He puts his followers in cloaks of complete turquoise blue. Beautiful, unbelievable blue, to quote Bruce Springsteen again, right? And he says, Moshe, you taught us this law of tzitzis, and you said that one blue string on the corner elevates the whole garment. Well, what about a whole garment or cloak that itself is blue? Does that need a blue string on the side? And Moshe, having learned the law from Hashem, says, absolutely. And Korach says, that's ridiculous. It's illogical. It makes no sense. And he ridiculed this and other mitzvot. We'll come back to that later. But so, Korach had a claim. And his father's, his followers had a grievance and a claim as well. We're all holy and you're elevating yourself. Well, first of all, let's examine this claim, okay, on the face of it. The whole Jewish people can be holy, 
Absolutely. The whole Jewish people heard God speak. Absolutely. However, they only heard the first two commandments or perhaps all of the Ten Commandments. That's a discussion in the oral tradition. But they didn't hear all of the commandments. Moshe went up to Mount Sinai after the public revelation and learned the rest of the commandments. So the whole congregation can be holy and that doesn't inherently or philosophically negate the need for a leader or someone on a higher level of prophetic inspiration and closest to God. So that doesn't really make sense in the claim of Korach and his followers, right? But it's even worse than that. It's even worse than that because there's a big contradiction here. Really, an hypocrisy or a hypocrisy. I think it's an hypocrisy. English teachers beware, right? Because what did Korach and his followers want? Did they want to eliminate all positions of authority? Did they want to have a clean sweep of hierarchy? No, that's not what they wanted. The 250 followers of Korach wanted to be the high priest like Aaron. And in fact, Moshe then sets up a showdown where all these people who wanted to be the high priest would do one of the services, the incense offering, the next day, and God would pick out the one who was the holy one, even though he had already picked out Aaron for that role. Do you see what I'm saying? But And Korach himself wanted to be a leader. So the, the rhetoric was one of radical egalitarianism, populism, but that wasn't what... In practice, they wanted, they each one of them wanted to be a leader, wanted to be greater than they were, a higher position. Now, now, is it bad to yearn for greatness, to, to be dissatisfied with one's own situation? I want to be greater. And maybe Korach felt like I, I really should have been appointed instead of that younger cousin who was appointed um, by Moshe, whatever. And maybe, maybe, maybe I could do better in an IQ test or I don't know, or what's it called? Wordle? Is that what it's called? I don't play Wordle. Is that the, 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 uh, uh, Scrabble. My mom is a great Scrabble player. She should live and be well. You know, I'm sure Korach was a better Scrabble player than Aaron, no doubt. And maybe better on a million tests. But does that mean, so, so, so let's say Korach, it was a pure yearning for not for, you know, riches and fame. Being the coin guttle is not like, you know, it's not like being Brad Pitt. He should live to be well. Whatever it is, it's, it's a spiritual leadership. So let's say that was a noble motivation. Fine. But here's, the, here's a very big point of the Torah portion. Once it's decided by, I don't know, the synagogue or God himself, that you're not going to get that position of authority that you think, and maybe justifiably so, that you should get you're going to torch the whole building. You're going to destroy the whole system. That's what Korach does. He, in other words, engages or rather maintains a machloket, a disagreement. Even as Moshe throughout the Torah portion tries so hard to appease him and speak to him and talk it out and go to the other leaders, but no, he is stubborn. Korach won't even speak to Moshe. So it's okay to have noble intentions and maybe even to feel like, ah, I'm not, I'm not at the level I really should be at in this synagogue or in this people. But, but once it's done, you don't just burn the whole house down because you're upset that you weren't chosen for what you were chosen for. Now, of course, it's different in a synagogue nowadays or a school or a job you're trying to get and someone else gets it. Here we're talking about Hashem directing everything. But of course, Korach challenged all that. Um, now, one of the great lessons of this Torah portion, of course, is the corrosive, not corrosive, too weak a word, destructive, lethal power of jealousy. Because jealousy, ultimately, deep down, our rabbis tell us, Korach was motivated by a jealousy that he was overlooked 
for this other position that a younger cousin got. Doesn't mean that consciously he was aware of that. Oh no, I'm sure he believed himself in his cause. He believed that Moshe was teaching illogical commandments. He believed that he just appointed Aaron, his brother, as the Kohen Gadol because of, you know, he's friends with his brother. I mean, we know, psych- I would say we know psychology. We don't know psychology as well as we should. The human heart, the human mind, oh, depths and depths of 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 fooling ourselves. So Korach probably believed in his rhetoric on some level, um, but it swayed everything, how he looked at everything. And that's a big lesson in this Torah portion, how careful we have to be to scrutinize our own motivations when we're going for something we want, right? Or certainly a position or a job and, you know, and how we look at other people if we don't get what we want. Of course, it's an obvious point, and right, that our own personal bias and jealousy can absolutely distort our thinking process, or our rationality, so that Korah could look at Moshe and look at the mitzvahs and see them in a way that it was all diabolical, and it was all just, you know, a power grab. Of course, Moshe, the most humble of all people, and like we see that in the portion, trying over and over again to appease them, to talk to them, and that's a big lesson of this Torah portion, right? Okay, you have a justifiable grievance with your boss, with your employee, with your spouse, I hope not, but you don't get 250 followers and make a whole production about it. You talk to the people involved. You you could give what's called tochacha. Tochacha is a Torah commandment to give rebuke. Korach should have given rebuke to Moshe. He said, you know, a private meeting. They were first cousins. They knew each other. Let's talk about this, Moshe. I'm not sure what you're doing is, is so kosher. But he didn't do that. He started a machloket, a division, which was not ultimately fully for the noble motive of huh, the good of the Jewish people or the good of the world. Okay, so let's start for a second as we wrap, wrap up here, you know, the spiritual side for each one of us, okay? Granted that the conditions are very different. We're not living in a time of open prophecy. Not yet. We long for it again in the Messianic age, but we, it's not here now and, you know, but yet the Torah is given to us to learn lessons for our own life. It's not a history book. It's not obsolete. It's not archaic, right? How often do we cause ourselves misery by, I'm not saying the story of my life, but of many people's lives or part of their lives, not being sameach bechelko, which means not rejoicing with our portion. Korach had an amazing portion. I didn't mention he was very wealthy. Very wealthy, he had discovered treasures in Egypt and that Yosef had hidden, and he was very wealthy. And in fact, one of the understandings of why he had the gumption to do what he did, possibly because of his wealth. But in any case, he ended up not being wealthy because the rabbis define wealth as someone who's rejoicing with what he or she, they have. And he didn't rejoice with that. He had a lot. He was a leader already. He was a great person already. He was a wealthy person already. But he wanted more. He wanted to take. He wanted to take more for himself. Isn't that the story of all of us so often in this world? Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get a better job, a better salary if we want, a nicer house, whatever. But are we like discontent with the whole picture? And so much of the book of Bamidbar numbers is about this kind of, this kind of attitude, right? So a challenge to all of us to be, to, to be happy with what we have. And really that means who we are. Because look, the rabbis tell us that if we yearn for and cast our eyes upon things that are not meant for us, we run the danger of not only not attaining 
what we think we want, but of losing what we have and who we are. And Korach lost it all. We're not talking about now, but he was swallowed up by the earth in an incredible, once once in, in all of human history, punishment, swallowed up by the earth, he and his followers, he lost everything because he was trying to grab and take for himself something that was not meant to be his. It's hard. And really, the many of the great rabbis say this is connected, of course, to the Tenth of the Ten Commandments. Don't covet. Don't covet what, what what's not yours. If it's not yours, it's because it's not meant for you. It's not part of your portion. Again, it doesn't mean you can't advance and up your... <laughs> All those things, whatever. You don't have to stay static. But it, but your general attitude, and certainly when something is the way it is, are you going to rebel against the universe and against God who created the universe because you're not happy with the way it is? Moshe even hints at this to Korach and his followers because he says, you know, morning and evening, those are realities in the world, Hashem separated. There's darkness, there's light, there's morning, there's evening. There's the Kohen, the Kohanim, the priests, Aaron, God chose them. It's it's ineradicable. It's it's a law of, of Hashem's world, just like the law of gravity, or like the law of night giving way to day and day giving way to night. So if we're not happy with that, and really who we are, I know, yes, we can change many things in our lives, but I think that's one of the characteristics of our age, if I may say so, that there's a pushing at any kind of limitation on our own exercise of our free will. That's another topic, not for now, or, or, our, or what we want to be in this world. But certainly in the context, there are some things we cannot change. We are, we were born as we were born, who we are, and we should treasure that and embrace that. Every one of us has a unique mission in this world. We're almost at Independence Day. And we'll finish with this idea. Korach, really, when you look at it, and there's depths here that we can't go into now, but Korach believed in spiritual independence. I'm, I'm saying it my own way, but once God spoke to them, they were holy. Everyone was holy. Self-contained holiness, like a blue garment that's blue itself. Doesn't need any string on the side that connects it to something higher and holy. Independent. Independent. And again, Korach was great, great of spirit, great of mind, great of soul. But that's a wrong attitude. We're not independent. Of course, thank God, July 4th, America, wonderful country, barbecue, and I believe in July 4th. But spiritually, we are not independent. Oh, are we powerful? Very powerful. Are we partners with God in creation? You bet. That's a huge Jewish point. But independent? No. We're only holy because God gave us mitzvot that help us to attain holiness. Or the spark within us, the neshama, is holy. It's a pure spark of God. But it's only through the mitzvot, by doing them, all 613 of them, that we can access and and bring holiness into this world. Right? So we need that, so to speak, one string on the side that connects us to the ultimate source of holiness. We're not independently holy. And something about Korach had that, I don't know, whether it was the arrogance, whether it was the wealth, or whatever it is, that we're independent, and we don't need to be dependent on Aaron. Again, one, one Kohen Gadol, one high priest, like we said, it was a contradiction, because he wanted to be high priest as well, or whatever, but, you know, you can't expect consistency when it comes to jealous motivations over here. In any case, we've said a lot over here. Um, don't get me wrong, God wants us to be human beings, standing tall, proud, but 
literally and figuratively with the blue string of the tzitzis or the tzitzis without the blue string, which is kosher, reminding us that we need to always be connected to a higher source of holiness, and that includes the rest of the Jewish people. Korach was really the ultimate individualist. That's what he was. His, his rhetoric was communal, communitarian, but he was individualist. He felt, and perhaps rightfully so, like we said, that he was the highest IQ, the best SAT score. He should have been the coin guttle. But Hashem has a vision that honors and incorporates the unique talents of every individual. But we're a klal, klal Yisrael, the whole Jewish people. There's a Moshe. He was special. There's Aaron. He was special. There's the Levite tribe, of which Korach was a part. That's special. You are special. I am special. Shabbos is special. We got to go because Shabbos is coming. But that's the vision. Korach did not have a communal vision at all. It was radical individualism. And he lost everything. It's my blessing to you and to me that we should grow in our lives. It takes a long time. I know what I'm saying to value who we are, to appreciate who we are, each one of us in a unique way. And when we do that, then we won't be jealous of others. We won't leave ourselves behind as we, you know, in a panicked way or a desperate way, try to become somebody else or something else. We'll be ourselves. We'll love ourselves for who we are, for the divine neshama that is the essence of each and every one of us. And then we'll be able to see the divine neshama and special uniqueness and talents and greatness of every other person. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a wonderful Independence Day of America. Healthy. And remember that we're not, we're not, we don't want to be fully independent. We want to be proud and stand tall as Americans, as Jews, as human beings, but always connected to a higher source. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you.